the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. Seven years ago, a 21-year-old white man walked into a predominantly black church, opened fire, and killed nine members of that faith community. Now, most religious communities condemn the action and the beliefs motivating the action of Dylan Roof. But many have also failed to see the contradiction between their expressed beliefs and their fears, their resentments, and their discomfort with people of color attending their church. In this episode, then, of Challenge 2.0, Racism, Religion's Blind Spot, we examine what it's like to be Black in a mostly white worship community. So we'd like to welcome our guest this evening, uh, First Deacon Joseph Connor of Immaculate Conception Church in Seattle. Uh, Deacon Joseph, thank you very much for joining us tonight. It's a pleasure. And we have Janae Petrusha and her dad, uh, Ron Petrusha, who are both joining us. And thank you both for being a part of this program as well. My pleasure as well. Thank you, Jeff. It's an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor to hear your perspectives and experiences on this. Uh, I might begin with Deacon Connor, and that is, Deacon, what was your early experience attending church? Uh, I know it wasn't quite what you've been experiencing in more recent years. That's very true. I must say, I'm a cradle Catholic from the state of Louisiana, which is growing up in the 40s and 50s for the Catholic state. I grew up in a segregated Black Catholic church. And my experience was very warm and safe. And I got to know the Lord. My, my parents were active in the church. My brothers, my friends, we were all active in the church and going, going to uh, Catholic schools and I was an altar server. So church then was a safe environment for, for people of color, for us, for black Americans. It was a safe place to be where you were nurtured, very spirit filled and you got filled with the spirit, with, with spiritual music and gospel music. Um, the spirit just moved through that place and, and you knew everybody, you knew the community and and no matter and if you went somewhere and if somebody from the church saw you and if you weren't doing what you're supposed to do, you got discipline <laughs> back in those days. Or you got you got the accolades. It, it was it was a wonderful time until I grew up and left Louisiana. And then what happened then? Because I know you had a different experience at that point. Well, then it was an experience of going to if you know when I, I was in the, in the military and going going into a uh, predominantly white church at, at you know in parts of California where I was sta stationed and having people look at you and kind of move actually move seats hmm. uh, and a sign of peace nobody gave you the hand um, and I, I noticed when I went to communion uh, folks. Some people just went back and sat down. They didn't want to take the cup. They didn't, they didn't want to take the cup behind me. Um, but you know, my, my, my strength 
as well as the strength for many Af African-Americans has been our spirit field. If I, I can take you for a moment, just going back to slavery. Yeah. Folks begin to read scripture and learn about God and realize they, they connected to the, the flight of the Jews and they had that strong faith that God will free them from this slavery, free them from this injustice. And that was instilled in me, my faith. Even when I was in the military, um, I wasn't as, as active in church as I would have been now, as I am now, but I found a way to go to church and pray. And, and I, I, I would receive that, when I could find a black church, I could receive that, that presence, that safety, uh, that belonging to the, to the Catholic church, which is what it's supposed to be because we were made in God's image. Um, and it was just a joy about, you know, being active in the church, being in Catholic school with my friends, you know, it, it's a common thing when you're in a safe environment, you nurture, you grow, and you experience the goodness of God in the church. Janae, Several decades later, you had different experiences from that of Deacon Joseph, uh, but nonetheless were probably what you would call hurtful. Can you explain and uh, elaborate on that a little bit? I think um, touching bases on what Deacon said about spirit, um, I think growing up as you know an African-American going to church, the only thing that I could depend on because I knew that there was going to be mistreatment for being black at a young age. You know, that's, it's just the only thing I could depend on was the Holy spirit. I would, I didn't grow up Catholic. Um, I grew up predominantly Christian. I wouldn't really know how to describe how I grew up. Um, <laughs> like the, the, I know that it's different nominations and things like that, but from a young age, um, I connected the most and felt the most at peace when I would pray in tongues, speak to the Holy Spirit, um, because I would walk into church and my dad is white, my mom was black, um, and I would immediately feel judged. I was always feeling like people around me were trying to compete with me. Um, I would pull up scriptures that I would get from the Holy Spirit. And there would be girls who were in my fit like class who would try to compete by saying that they got scriptures. Okay. So it's, there was that huge disconnect of feeling like I could be myself at church because I always felt like there was competition because in their eyes, I did not belong there. I never felt welcomed at church. Um, I would always want to sit in the car I never really wanted to go into church, but I had to have that disconnect from the reality and the reality that the Lord is my savior. And no matter the treatment that I've experienced, he was going to walk with me into church. And that is the only thing I really have felt at peace is realizing that the Holy Spirit's got my back. Did you ever raise that experience or those issues with the uh, church leadership? And if so, what sort of reaction did you get? Um, yeah, we did all, all the time. The reaction was without saying that this is what was said, it was get over it. Now, Ron, as Janae's father, uh, that has to be extremely painful to listen to even right now, much less at the time that it occurred. Uh, can you tell us about, uh, the impact that had on you? Um, well, I, 
I think it was all around a difficult time for mm -hmm. us in church. Um, I was an athe atheist and, and became a Christian in 1999, returned to Christianity. I'd been raised Catholic. So we, my my wife Vanessa was an evangelical fundamentalist, and she insisted on going to white churches, although she was black. And uh, I mean, it, it was unfortunate. It was an area that I kind of uh, yielded to her while I tried to convince her we should either we should preferably go to a black church, which she refused to do. Mm -hmm or find at least a decent white church. So, I mean, Janae and her sister I knew were being bullied. I didn't realize you know, fully the extent of it at the time. Um, the, 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 there was an irony that Vanessa was very loved in all of the churches we went to. And I was the one who was rejected and not liked. Uh, so in some sense, the girls and I were kind of in this together, and I knew that this was a real challenge to their faith much more than my faith. But I, I kind of felt that we were sort of in it together and we could, you know, sort of stick it out. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the real sort of, for me, pain came when after Vanessa's death, when uh, I had stopped going to church and, and the girls had also largely stopped going to church. So it seemed like in a lot of ways that we were sort of losing our faith. Um, but that whole experience of being evangelical was very, very, very difficult. I mean, I would say, you know, the, the churches that we attended were fairly overtly racist. Mm -hmm. They were, you know, extremely right wing. Uh, they were, uh, if anything, you know, a, a polar opposite to the teachings of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, the only kind of appealing thing was the presence of the Holy Spirit. We were, we were charismatic evangelicals. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit was really very much like Janae was saying, what really pulled her through was really what pulled me through. You mentioned that there was quite a dichotomy, a difference between what they professed to believe and your experience and what they practiced. Uh, I might pose this question to both uh, Ron and Janae first, and that was, did you ever point that out diplomatically, undiplomatically to the people? and? Uh, if so, what was their response? I tended to do it very undiplomatically. I, I tend to be somewhat con, con, uh, confrontational. And, and also, a lot of times, I just couldn't believe either the things they were saying or the things they were doing. So I would like say something before I, you know, just kind of almost as a reflex. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once uh, we had a, there was a statement about the Marines being anointed killers. They were anointed by God 
to kill, which I found outrageous. So kind of questioned that and pastor didn't remember and I had no idea what to do. So I knew the Archbishop of Edinburgh who was an Anglican bishop and he wrote a letter on my behalf to the pastor and that even only made it worse because he was an Anglican and what do they know? So, Janae, what was I noticed you smiled when your dad was talking about that. What was your experience uh, when that would happen then? Um, so at a young age, I learned that to have that passion. So if people weren't listening to us, if we were saying that we were feeling this type of way, we would just get up and walk out of church. Mm -hmm. um, and it's become to the point where I did that at my previous parish that I was attending. I just got up and I haven't been back. But you shouldn't have to get up and there should be changes. You should not base what one person is telling you on, I don't want to, I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to make the worst. I don't, it's just, I feel like people are so worried. I'm not saying people, priests, I'm going to say priests. There are certain priests who are worried about what the people think and don't necessarily hear what that person is saying when they're hurting because they mm -hmm. don't want feathers. So, is it fair to say that when you say that you're talking about the priests are concerned about what the white parishioners are uh, going to feel and react as opposed to the uh, black uh, member of the parish who is expressing that concern and that hurt over the experience that they've had? Yes, that's a perfect way to Deacon Joseph, what's your perspective on all of that? Wow. You know, Romans 12, 5 says, in the same way, all of us, though there are many of us, make up one body in Christ. And as different parts, we are all joined to one another. This is a, a significant passage that the church teaches, yet has fallen short. The church went along with systemic racism secular policies, the church fathers owned slaves, children of God made slaves. The church acknowledged the need for segregated churches that I grew up in, segregated schools. The church would not accept African-Americans in seminaries, in the seminaries of the U.S. Catholic Church. The U.S. Catholic bishops have published Open Wide Our Hearts, and there have been many publications by the by the United States Catholic bishops. And yet, here we are in the 21st century, still being rejected by our church, still being ostracized by our church, still not being able to see black and brown men in leadership roles, women in leadership roles of brown, black and brown, not able to see priests today in the 21st century, in 2022. Last year, one of our seminarians, was, was, was due to be ordained with his class. And he had to jump through other hoops before he got would be allowed to get ordained. I belong mm -hmm. to the National Association of Black Catholic Deacons and the National Black Catholic Caucus. And the horror stories of seminaries, not, to, not only hard to get in, but not even supporting you when you get in. Mm -hmm. the, the horrific things that my brother clergy have to go through from white bishops and, and priests, it is, it is unbelievable that we call ourselves universal church. 
when I feel, as, as Janae and her father feel that we are not loved or accepted by the Catholic Church. <laughs> I can give you incident. I went through formation in 2012. I, I, I was ordained in 2003, but had an instructor use the N word in evaluating my paper. Okay, I went to the to the to the director of the program. And you know what they told me? Well, uh, you need to go talk to him, but you 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 can just don't take that class. Why do I have to make a change when mm -hmm. I did nothing but receive something that was inappropriate? Now that strikes to an issue that uh, as I was listening to you talk, uh, and as I was listening to the stories of Janae and Ron, uh, have you had conversations with other people locally within the church, outside of the church, about these experiences? And uh, if so, what sort of response do you get from them? Do you get a sense that there's beginning to be some reaction and change, or do you think it's awfully slow in coming? You asking me that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Jeff, I'll tell you. Uh, I'm 76 years old. And I've been through, I've been to Catholic Church in Japan. I've been to Catholic Church in, in France. I've been to Catholic Church in many states in, in the Union, okay? I felt more welcome in the church in, in France and Japan than I did in my own church in the United States. There are, if we have what we call, we have the, um, you know, we used to have the black Catholic offices in our diocese that was there to help support and, and bring, to, bring us into perspective as being a part of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. The Catholic Church has excluded our history. We have black people that walk with Jesus, okay? And, but yet still, you look at the history in my formation, it did history of the Catholic Church. And I had to ask the instructor, I said, where, where's the black and brown part mm -hmm. of the Catholic Church? We were there building the church. But it's so excluded that it, it looks like we're, we're just lucky to be there. We're add-on. We have had laws in society on a secular basis. There are policies within churches, uh, whatever the denomination may be. But uh, it's obvious listening to all of your stories that these have fallen short. I'd ask you for each of your perspectives on why that is and what needs to change. And Janae, I might begin with you and then circle back uh, through your dad and to uh, Deacon Joseph also. Um, how do I answer this in a nice way? This is a white man's society. I have no say in anything. So if I want to speak something that I feel needs to be passed or I feel like a new law needs to be made, I have no right to speak. I'm 27 years old and I am tired. Deacon Connor is older than me and he's tired. But at what point are we going to be heard? That's that's all I have to say on that one. Ron, what's your take on that? Uh, a couple of things. I mean, the first thing is that you know, we've we've the, the the notion of racism has become really com compartmentalized. So that first of all, we focus on attitudes and feelings. And second, we focus on the extreme cases. So racism and, and even 
while racism then becomes, you know, you're wearing a white hood and burning a cross and lynching people and that's racist and that's bad. But that's only the extreme case. In some sense, that's the tip of the iceberg. Racism is a much, much broader phenomenon. And, and second, and we see this especially with the attack on critical race theory today, racism is inbred by our culture. It's taught by our culture. It's carried by our culture and it's contained in our social institutions. So fundamentally, we're surrounded by a culture and a nation that is race, very racist. <laughs> and so that has to be dismantled. And, and the only way, two ways of dismantling it are one, through activism, and two, through education and through well, through education, through integration, and through um, through changing hearts and minds. Uh, but none of it is going to change unless there's a fundamental change in culture and social institutions. So that's what critical race theory aims to do. And that's what why critical race theory is you know, sort of extremely under attack today. Mm -hmm. Deacon Joseph, I know these are issues that you've been dealing with a very long time. Uh, why do you think these policies, these laws have fallen short? Uh, what do you see as the core issues here? I think the core, the core issue for me is that we're not walking the talk as a Catholic church. Mm -hmm. we, we promote and talk about social justice issues. We got everything's in print about social justice issues but the church is not walking the talk, okay? Look at the, at, 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 if you look at the, across the United States, the schools and churches around the country that were in poor and black communities to evangelize and help and grow and educate, where are they closing them? In those same communities. How we, we are called to serve the poor, but economics, if you, in any city, the wealthy church, and right here in North Dyes of, 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 of Seattle, I have seen constantly the wealthy churches get the best, the best and the most energetic priests. We have gotten the leftovers, we've gotten the ill, we've gotten those on one foot in the retirement, one foot out. And so that there, there is no there is no action steps, there's no commitment. <laughs> we, write, we write these pastoral letters with nothing behind them, with no consequences, okay? With no measurable outcomes and goals to change. We have, we have right now in the process, like we have a racial justice deanery team. Mm -hmm. And that, that came about with George Floyd. And we had a visual and I said, it's important for Catholics to come together and become united in addressing this sin beyond lip service. Mm -hmm. And we had that, we had that, that visual outside of and it was wonderful. And we had the majority of the parishes and priests participating. I said, the world needs to see the Catholic church functioning as an institution addressing the sin of racism. Because mm -hmm. you see, 
you know, you know how change comes. Change comes if you have the power, it connects to the power, or you organize. Mm -hmm. And 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 we have to have, we have to get our people in the pews committed and understanding the sin of racism and 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 white how white privilege play, plays into within the pews, within the Catholic Church. Okay, structural institutional structural and institutional racism until it is addressed. The feelings, the, the concerns, the thoughts have no impact. When you have policies and procedures that prevent men of color getting into the diaconate, getting into priesthood, moving up, becoming bishops, when you have policies that, uh, don't, that prevent our children seeing people of color, men and women in leadership roles, I mean, if you go back to civil rights, that was one of the issues is having role models. How can a child aspire to something if they don't see somebody look like them? How can they believe that, that it's, it's a possible dream? It's a possible mm -hmm. reality. Well, I would wish that uh, we wouldn't need to do a follow-up on this program, that a year or two down the road, we'd see substantial change, but I suspect uh, we're going to continue to need to work on this for a very long time. Uh, I thank you each so very much for offering your experiences, your perspectives, your wisdom, and hope that you'd consider coming back on again, and maybe we can do a progress check in a year or so and see where we're at then. Uh, so thank you very much, and thank you for all the very good work that you are doing in your individual faith communities and in the world at large, too. Thank you for having us, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. And thank you all for watching this edition of Challenge 2.0. We hope you'll join us again next week as well. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining, and thought-provoking, and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable, perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization.